Hello, and welcome to Plain Sight, presented by Invisible. This podcast feed shares Socratic dialogue with invisible partners and allies, where we discuss and challenge our values and principles, and have honest discussions about the world. We hope that in doing so, we can see things outside of our plain sight with 2020 vision. Let's go. Welcome to the Invisible Podcast. My guest today is Mikkel Steen. He is an entrepreneur at Everest, uh, and we are really excited to have this conversation for the Invisible community. Uh, So far, I've interviewed one advisor. Francis has interviewed quite a few team members at Invisible, uh, and this will be the first time that we delve into a separate business unit. Uh, And uh, so really excited to to have you on, Mikkel. Thank you so much, Stuart. Thank you, and thank you for having me. So a lot we could talk about. Let's see what the most interesting question I could ask you right off the bat would be, yeah, what's your high-level impression of machine learning? Are you using machine learning? I know that you have a background as an engineer, I believe, uh, and I'd be very curious. And I think that was not um, computer engineer, but uh, another type of engineer. So like, what's your background and what's your take on AI? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I got a bachelor's degree in engineering, uh, so traditional engineering, but I've uh, dealt computer and software engineering since I was 16 years old. Um, so of course, like I got an impression, especially where everything is heading right now. Um, I think in general, we can see machine learning and the attributes of machine learning as an interesting um, reinforcement mechanism um, that we build into our businesses um, because by mimicking how people actually learn, we can start reinforcing the same mechanisms and, and actually build systems to learn over time, um, which is what we want, want to do as entrepreneurs. We want to build products and systems that actually enhances itself over time so we can get that symbi- symbiosis between people and, and, and technology that we're all striving for. Um, I haven't necessarily went deep into machine learning. Uh, in my previous startup, we were dabbling with it, um, where we made an art startup, um, where we made a, a visual recommendation engine comparable to Google image uh, search. Um, so basically being able to go into any given gallery and find something on our platform that actually matches uh, what we were looking at from a stylistic point of view, uh, using machine learning in terms of uh, reinforcing the uh, uh, reinforcing the model um, as we got more data and as we got more products in the platform. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, so, okay, so automations and we've got kind of physical things that we can automate. Is engineering, like is engineering physical things, is that an automation? Like for my, I'll give my, my take basically. My take is that you know, for thousands of years, humans, some humans have been trying to automate everything. Uh, and the the old way that we automated was through people. Uh, and there's the downside of that, which is slavery. And then there's the upside of that, which is pay- paying somebody in order to do the thing. And so like for a certain category of people, automations have been available since be- the beginning. Uh, but then automations keep on spreading to more and more people. Um and so like, what is, is, are we trying to automate the physical world when we're doing engineering? Well, yeah, to some extent, but as you say, I don't think it's nothing new. Um, automation is sort of, it's a process thing, right? So trying to make sure that, that something po- follows a procedure 
um, that A actually equals B uh, and doing that in the most efficient manner. And that's what we as a human race have done throughout the centuries, um, figuring out systems that can actually enhance our productivity, like going all the way back from, you could say, maybe this is an abstract uh, <laughs> Uh, comparison, but in a sense, like the agricultural revolution is sort of an, an automation um, where we're figuring out how to plant the seeds at the right time of year to actually grow and optimize the yield of of, of those crops. Um, of course, automations take a new form today, but in essence, I think it's in human nature to actually figuring out those systems. And that's what, for me, engineering is. Uh, engineering actually resembles a lot what I did as a kid, where I played goes, um, taking all of the bricks, pulling things apart, understanding how it works and constructing a new model. Um, and I guess that's also why I, both as an startup founder, um, but also as a curious individual, like engineering so much and both been software engineering and physical engineering and, and product development, like just taking things apart and figuring out how systems works and putting them back together. That is both with people, it's with businesses and it's with products. Um, yeah, uh, but, but automations is like, I think we put it in like, especially the advent of like the internet and, and, and more like highly intelligent software systems we put it into that category, but I think it's a broader thing um, that, that we as human race always have done. I feel like you in particular have specific insight into a question I ask myself a lot, uh, which is, so we've got this digital world and the digital world has changed so rapidly in the last 10 to 15 years. And at first we were all naively thinking, okay, it's going to stay in its digital world. It's going to stay over there. And our physical world is going to kind of keep, keep saying there were people thinking that that's not going to be the case, but widespread belief that like digital physical are separate. And then, uh, and then now we're seeing like how much of our cognition, our cultural cognition, our ability to communicate with each other, is defined by um, abstract, and I would even say virtual programming um, that is already embedded inside of our evolution um, in the terms, terms of thoughts and beliefs and such. What's your take on how much this is going, how much the physical world is about to be changed by what's going on in software, particularly with AI and particularly kind of some things you've been seeing? And I'd be even curious to hear about fusion power and what your, your take on fusion power mm -hmm. and then nuclear power is as well. <laughs> um well uh, fundamentally there is like an issue with the human brain in terms of all of the compounding effects we see with technology right now and i do think that will the physical world and the digital world will more and more and more um i don't necessarily believe that we are at the <laughs> at the point where everybody will live in in, in, in virtual reality anytime soon, like like Ready Player One. But in terms of our day-to-day -day processes and day-to-day -day things that we do, we rely more and more upon digital tools to actually help us. I think where a problem might arise is that the human brain was built to think very linearly, 
whereas technology is expanding in an exponential pace. So the real challenge here is to actually to make sure that we as people can actually keep up with the pace that the technology is, is developing in. So it doesn't necessarily outcompete us and, and, and clutter the world, but it actually enables people to be faster, to be better, and kind of becomes the like uh, like the expression that the computer was meant as the calculator for the human brain, but a, a tool that actually enhances our ability to be effective as a civilization. Um, but I'm, I am doubtful if if the human brain can cope with the pace in which technology is actually developing. Um, but that's a challenge uh, for all, uh, in essence, to actually figure out how we can, again, create a symbiosis between people and AI, making sure that we do what each party is best at. Um, but it is an end challenge. To your other question, terms of like nuclear technology <laughs> it's a complete complete different direction um there is a lot of interesting things happening right now in that space um and i think even though that 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 traditional uh fishing technology is is very effective we've just had like several accidents where the public understanding and outlook on, on nuclear technology has been tarnished um, which has made it difficult to actually rely upon that as a renewable energy source. But if we're getting into the technology world that we described just before, we'll need more and more energy to actually sustain that world and sustain that progress. So the promise of fusion technology and what we have seen with recent experiments and breakthroughs is immense uh, for us as a civilization. And I really see huge, huge, huge benefits if we can get there. And it will unlock, well, basically the next paradigm of human civilization because we will be able to harness uh, the power of the sun. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of the, I forget, I'm forgetting the name of the specific theory uh, that says that we, that we're a level zero civilization and then level one mm -hmm. expanding to, to Mars or off planet and then level two or three or whatever is, is off, off thing. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that, mm -hmm. um, that we're going to harness the power of the sun. Like if that can happen, like, cause that's like the basic defining limit of civilization is that mm -hmm. we are limited in our energy. Um, and, and that's funny cause like metaphorically, that's also the primary problem of business is that people at, you know, the C-suite are well, people across the organization are, um, limited by their energy, by their time. Um, and, uh, that goes back to the thing about the abstractions that we were talking before and just like how the, the shared cultural cognition is all just this virtual machine that runs on our brains. Um, and, uh, and so, um, yeah, it's really interesting to think about that and how, uh, uh, that we're entering into some really new times. And as you said, the exponential increase in technology is going to lead to this essentially in us being incapable of coping with all the changes. And so mm -hmm. the automatic solution that I hear from a lot of people that I grew up with is that, well, that's where technology comes in. So you just implement more technology and then, and then, uh, and then that'll solve the problem. And then I, re I recently found out in the last few years that I think there's a hole in that, um, which is, uh, which is like, 
it doesn't solve the problem. It solves the symptoms. Uh, and the more technology we add, I love technology, so it's not a, it's not a, it's not a huge, huge problem, but the more technology that we add, oftentimes the more complex things get like I, I'm, I'm facing every day. I have like 18 different channels for, for messaging. Um, and it's all spread out and I know everybody else has the same problem. Um, and, uh, like that's more complicated than it was when we had a cell phone and we just called the person that we were talking to when we're outside of the home, basically, or if you're inside the home, you call me or whatever. But, um, what, what do you, what's your take on this question between the complexity that arises once we just implement technology naively? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's exactly as you say. Like it's naivety uh, where we are trying to symptom fix rather than actually finding a cure, um, and it's it's both a technical issue, it's a structural issue, but in in the end, it becomes a, a philosophical issue. Um, what I'm really interested in these days is to figuring out what actually constitutes human productivity. Uh, so more like a holistic approach to how can we build products that actually engages and interacts and embeds in people's lives rather than just again being the remedy for like a small issue so figuring out how can we actually enhance people rather than take anything away from them because if you consider human productivity impact happiness joy whatever you want to call it as uh unit economics you will have a cost and you will have an output and it's a fairly easy equation to actually think about when you're building products. How much are we taking from the individual, both on a personal level and a cost level from a business perspective as a focus level? Um, and how much are we giving them in the actual value that we're providing? Um, and that's the foundation of what I'm doing right now. Um, I'm trying to help executives actually optimize their time, uh, making sure that they are as efficient as possible and quite frankly as happy as possible because i do believe that all businesses are built by people and if we keep on treating people like machines eventually we won't necessarily get the right productivity output that we're looking for rather we should rely upon machines to be machines and find that balance between what we use people for and what we use computers for um and that's again <laughs> It's it's bigger questions that we're dealing with here, and I think it's a challenge to to our civilization to actually figure out that because that's what will get us to the next level of society. Basically, when we figure out how to enable rather than constrain, because as you say, right now people are dealing with an information overload, and we even getting disinformation as well, um, and it it's put on the individual to actually be able to fill all of that information and and things get through the cracks and how can we actually utilize technology to keep a blissful oversight where we can actually be people in in a world of technology and 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 binary uh binary systems keeping uh keeping our day-to-day -day lives busy uh because i truly believe that people have an immense power of creativity innovation empathy that computers ai will never be able to match because we have an abstract way of thinking um and all of the flaws of the human brain actually makes us able to do something that a machine will never be able to do because that's a very positivistic outlook on the world like it's it's a specific answer that the machine is looking for, whereas a reflection doesn't necessarily require a specific answer. 
that just requires uh, the time to actually sit down, think, and elevate a question to the new level. Uh, brilliant. I've got a lot of potential avenues we could go with this. Um, I loved the piece about flaws of human beings being the unique tra traits that machines can't copy. Um, how do we enable? But it's the same thing. It's it's the same as like buying a, a handcrafted bag rather than a, a mass-produced bag. Like we want the flaws. The flaws is essential for our perception of beauty. It's the same as an opera singer's voice cracking when they're reaching the high note, and that's the nerve that we can actually relate to. Um, and, and that's the, the end. We want something that we can relate to and we want something that actually moves our feelings. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, and so the thing you meant, the thing that you said about treating humans as humans and allowing them to do what they do and allow what machines do to do, do what they do. And I, it's really interesting because reflecting back on it, it from 2010 until 2018, I was in San Francisco and I was part of the tail end of the rise of technology after the first, after the second bubble uh, collapse. We have the first bubble in 1999, second one in 20, 2007. Um, and, uh, and so in that tail end, it was Facebook, Google, Uber, Airbnb, all these different companies that were creating Web2 products that were basically um, automating humans out of the loop, almost completely. Uh, Facebook did it. And then all of a sudden we have now Facebook's making some significant changes to our democracy, um, or to our democracies, uh, to our republics. Uh, and um, and uh, that was all automated. So all of a sudden they had to think about like, oh, how do we actually go back and intervene? So we put humans in the loop. And then they set up like call center factories in Africa, which which had like people like going through content and and deciding what content was good, what content was bad, and like exposing them as like these these guardians of this thing. And, and it's just it's so insane how we do things and then we learn from our mistakes or not learn from our mistakes too as well. And um, and I'm really jazzed about that and about Invisible and about Everest and the fact that pretty much everybody on this team is thinking very, very good, very holistically about like, well, let's figure out what humans do best and let's figure out what machines do best and then combine them in this way that I've never seen anywhere else. Um, and we, what, what, what was your first take on Invisible when you first heard about them? Well... I love the I love the core mission of Invisible and actually exactly as you say, like figuring out how we can make the perfect blend between what people do best and what technology we do best. And it's one one thing that is very close to my heart. Also, yeah, from what we just talked about, because I think it's one of the major challenges. And if we can do it within one company, we can also expand that knowledge and expand that way of working and interacting with technology to other sectors. Um I think Invisible as a company also really, it really spoke to me from the sense that I like breaking things down to a microscopic level and actually optimizing the bits and pieces that, that a system consists of. 
um, and having the modularity in terms of actually being able to combine processes and and being able to optimize them individually is 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 insanely important and it's really exciting to me. So having one process that is completely automated, but another that is actually um, quality assured by a human uh, when it's needed is is the perfect blend and it's the perfect way of actually utilizing what we are best at. Um, to the beginning of your other question uh, or previous question, um, there is the whole like debate in terms of like technology taking human jobs and 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 out competing us. And I think it's very interesting to to distinguish between the macro perspective again as us as a civilization versus the personal level. Um, because as a civilization, the only, well, not the only, but one of the major <laughs> metrics, if we have to be maybe a little bit cynical about it, is our productivity output. And as as we free up more time for people to be creative, to be, be people be innovative, and to people to reflect and philosophize, uh, uh, think uh, and reflect, I do believe that we create that space where we can be more productive, we can be more innovative. Um, but of course, it's like on a societal level, um, it creates a lot of issues uh, in terms of people being without a job or people having to be retaught or retrained to actually do different kinds of jobs. And I think the whole thought about universal basic income uh, um, as we progress more into technology automations is super interesting, especially also coming from the arts industry, where I saw so many people with immense amount of talent that was forced into taking jobs that they hated, spending their lives um, and their time that is very limited on something that really didn't bring any joy to them or to the world. Um, so... I think it's very interesting to think in like the, the 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 dissonance between the personal level and the here and now and where we'd like to take us in the future. Um, because I do believe and dream about a future where we actually have more time, we have more ability to focus and reflect, write, make art, make innovations, build products and be together with our fellow human beings. Um, there is definitely some bumps in the road. And as you mentioned with the interference in the elections, for example, and it's something that we should be very conscious about. And I know that the European Union, for example, is also doing a lot of legislation right now to trying to prevent some of the issues that we're facing with technology. But collectively, again, that's something that we need to deal with and actually figure out as we go along. In a sense, we are transforming the entire world into sort of a startup where we are failing, but we should be we should be learning for those mistakes and actually mitigating them as we go along. Um, and to continue that analogy, then eventually, hopefully, we'll find a product market fit where we actually have the optimal level of joy and, and, and happiness and contentness uh, in a civilization. Uh, that, that's, that's so great. I really love your metaphors. The UBI I think is really interesting. I've been I've been hanging out in Barcelona here after our, our, our uh, uh, work-related thing last week. And... Uh, I have been spending time with a, a good friend, my best friend, uh, who's from France and is not involved in technology, uh, is doing film festivals, artists as well. And, um, and, uh, and so 
it's fascinating to have a conversation with them about AI and where it's going. Um, none of them have used AI yet. And I keep on meeting his friends and none of them have used AI. And I'm asking to the, the taxi drivers, none of them have used AI. Um, and I'm, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm not trying to get anybody to use it. But uh, at the same time, sometimes I'm like, oh, man, this could really help you out. Um, and we got on the conversation of like, okay, so what, what's the end goal? What's, what's the deal? What, like, what are, what are going to happen to the jobs? And, um, and I think it's really interesting to think about, as you've been talking about that PMF for joy and happiness for me, that's, that's when I can focus on work, but my work is my play as well. So it's like those, those two things are very similar. Um, and so, uh, I know that that's not shared among everybody in the, in the planet, um, and, but if we can essentially create a world where people can really focus on what they, what they creatively inspires them, I believe that the problem space will open up because as soon as, as we find a problem, then we're able to see all the other problems behind that problem. Um, and so I don't think the problems are going away. I think the problems are like with infinite problems as, as, as long as the universe's existence, we have tons of problems to save. And so I think the key question is, is it an 80-20% rule? And are is it is AI going to become decentralized and open source and uh and then create a world where there's tons of opportunity and that we actually fill the 80% of jobs with more jobs? Or is it going to be a world where we have 20% of jobs um and then 80% of people are left un, uh, unemployed? And I think in that world, that's where UBI comes in, basically. Because if that mm -hmm. situation happens, then there's like we have to do it, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I'd be curious on your thoughts. Well, it's it's interesting, and and to some extent, I think your friends are they're actually at the point where everybody should be. That everybody answers, "No, I'm not using AI. You're just using technology and products." Because in a sense, they've all used AI yeah. with Google yeah. and with Facebook, and every service that they're using is relying upon AI to actually get the job done. And we're also getting like, especially since. AI is, has been a buzzword, quite frankly, lately. We are forgetting that it's just another set of tools. It's not necessarily a silver bullet. It's something that we can rely upon. But when AI is truly successful is when we stop labeling it as such. It's just a technology. Um, but it's an immense technology with a lot of opportunities. Um, but, but I actually hope for a world where everybody will say, no, I have not used AI because it's not a conscious like choice to use chat dbt or uh whatever it's it's just a tool like any other um to the latter part of of, of the question um it's difficult uh to predict of course um i hope to some extent that we can find a way to open source ai more but there is also a lot of issues with that um, because as we all know, and as the, um, as, 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 as we have predicted, uh, AI can also be used for bad things. So giving that power open source to everybody might also be a bad thing. So we should find the balance between enabling everybody to succeed and everybody being efficient while still having control. So if we can open source AI in a controlled manner and making sure that we have the right bells and whistles in place, that's definitely the future I hope for and the future that I could see happening. 
um, because we need the contribution of everybody to actually be able to make the proper systems. But um, I fear with the way that our world is structured, and at least in the Western Hemisphere, that most of AI will be the property and the intellectual property of the few. Um, which is a whole nother issue because then <laughs> then they are deciding what we're actually getting access to and, and what they are getting access to. Um, so it's, it's an interesting question. I, my positivistic outlook of life will hope for a world where we have universal basic income, where we have more flexibility, where we have the the possibility of people actually being able to learn throughout their lives like if if you just want to be an academic study all of your life that would be a thing because eventually when you reach your 80th birthday that might be the point where you are at da vinci's level and come up with the next thing that is going to propel civilization forward right now we've built a system where that's not allowed where you have to choose your direction of work when you're what 16 pretty much and just follow that beaten track that was already already made for you. But having the flexibility as a race to actually go with our our flow and go with our inspirations um, will be immensely powerful. Um, and I also think, again, the productivity output of us as a civilization will compound, quite frankly, because then we are relying upon our our values and our uh, inspiration and our joy to actually get the work done rather than dreading the, the nine to five every day. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, great. Um, I would love to focus it on some specific problems that I'm, I'm having because uh, I've noticed that you're really good at thinking about processes and how to break down processes. And it's like something that you've thought about for a long time. I've thought about it, but you have, you have action and, and you have a lot of thought behind it. Um, and so what are the most important things that I, and maybe somebody in my list who are listening to us, uh, may be able to take from this conversation in terms of processes and how to think about processes. And I guess this is a somewhat loaded question because you have, you have the implicit knowledge. Um, and what I'm looking for is explicit knowledge, but like, what are the things that we should be aware of when we're breaking down all these disparate things into basic proper steps that anybody can follow? Well, yeah, okay, that's a big question. Um, I think one of the things that I've dealt with a lot is when we are breaking things apart and when we are starting to optimize everything in on a granular scale, we should understand that the connection between the chain delegations or, or the chain uh, processes don't necessarily get lost. Uh, so the quality of the combined um input doesn't necessarily get lost um from a more personal level when you're thinking about your own productivity and your own processes i think the best advice is to be conscious um conscious about your consumption first and foremost but also about what inputs and what focus you allow to slip from you like being very conscious about actually closing down certain uh, prohibitors for your own productivity, um, being conscious about saying no, at least that trying to practice a lot because 
I realize that there is an information overflow um, and I can't necessarily keep up. And that's just, that's if we can all agree on that like core fundamental truth, then we can actually start to act upon it rather than trying to keep up and just trying to keep busy, but actually get to the point where we choose our actions and don't necessarily fall victim to just blindly following the the flow of information, the flow of processes that we've ingrained in our lives, but actually tapping into them and using them to our advantage. Um, yeah, I don't know if it took the question in a different direction, but 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 that's my take on it at least. That was great. Uh, so, and the specific follow-up is that I have is in relation to information overload. We were talking about that in terms of exponential growth and how it's just it's happening. We're, whether we like it or not, the exponential growth is here. How do we adapt? How do we how do we how do we make sure that we keep our joy, keep our happiness um, in line while we're while we're in this realm of information overload? Um, and I wonder, like. How, I've been thinking a lot about how to solve this problem specifically within our organization is just that some things need to be communicated, but at the same time, people are being communicative oversharing, which is, I think, really important, particularly in a startup environment, should probably overshare. Um, but now it's leading to as we grow, as we quickly grow past this 150 Dunbar's number how do we actually make sure that people aren't getting overloaded at the same time? And it's like a crazy problem. I have no idea how to solve it really. Uh, and, uh, and, um, uh, except just by being extremely concise, um, and, and, and actually like focus on o over, focus on oversharing, but at the same time, really questioning myself as to, is this the right moment to overshare? Should I should I actually go and do my own research in order to find out this problem on my own? I think that's the main thing. It's when you're demanding something from another person and that can, you can be, you can do that without being conscious of it. Um, just being like, oh, hey buddy, I, you know, you're my friend. I thought I, I would love to get this information. Um, and uh, and so that's the real key is just being really mindful of, of, of how much of this can I do on my own? And this brings in what we've been talking about is that now that I have this intelligent agent behind the scenes, that's the first go-to question for me now is it's immediately goes to chat GPT. Uh, and, uh, and now WhatsApp, I found while we were in Barcelona, I found this, um, this app called Soy Luz uh, IA, which is Inteligencia Artificial. And that, that thing um, is directly embedded inside of WhatsApp. So I've started to play around with that as well. Because um, the real the real thing is is that we're not going to, that in a few years time, I believe that probably we're not going to be texting back and forth with a with an AI bot. We're going to be talking to that AI bot just in the same way that we're, we're talking. Although maybe not in a conversational way, although maybe, maybe also in a conversational way. Um, so that was a long tangent, but uh, anything you want to respond to in, in that general uh, uh, deluge? Um, I had a few short thoughts while while, uh, while you were talking, and especially in terms of um, it's a mutual responsibility in terms of information overload, and especially internally, like a company like ours, remote uh, first, and 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 a startup. Quite frankly, like oversharing is a problem, and again, if we can all realize that, we also know. Uh, and can be conscious about when we are sharing and what we are sharing. Like when I'm sharing something internally, I'm always thinking about the compounding effect of me sending an email, for example, to a hundred people. It takes five minutes to read that email. Like it quickly adds up. 
Um, and it's a lot of time that you're actually taking from other people to be productive. And not just that, you're also taking their focus. So what I'm trying at least to act upon or, or be conscious about is also to enact just-in-time principles. So thinking about why do people actually need this information and when do they need it? Um, rather than just throwing something out there and and hope that somebody will pick it up, then actually being a bit more methodical about who needs what information at what point. And that both falls in an individual uh, individual responsibility, but also in the systems that we built. Um, can we make them asynchronous so we actually have access to the information rather than getting force fit with an email um, that we will need in three months' time? Um, can we make a proper routing system that actually enables us to find that information um, in an efficient manner? Um, and being, yeah, being 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 very conscious about the the relevance of the information is it a static information or is it a dynamic information that people will need in in terms of um a, a short uh, short period of time or or is it something that should remain as a source of information going forward so i think there is a common or mutual responsibility in between individuals to actually mitigate this issue um in general and and also in a broader scope of scope of things and i think we might the the problem with for, for example social media has also taught us to just share and yeah. just share without actually being conscious about who's consuming the information that we're sharing um and i think especially in the business perspective we should be more cautious about that yeah and that brings into mind um uh the thing i've been thinking about is how to think about invisible as an organization and it's funny because we're doing organization for for companies uh but then that's that's the bare level like uh, to the bone understanding of like actually just organizing files and folders, but then there's the organization of a company as well and how to think about that and the org chart and all this different stuff. And it's really funny that those two words are, are they're, they're the same word, but, but focus on two different things that are related. Um, and so we've got different levels. We've got the C-suite, then we've got um, the, the uh, department heads, then department VPs, then the, um, then the managers, then the individual contributors. But even with the individual contributors, you have a lead that leads all the other people. It, um, you can really see that there's a lot of people invisible who worked for the army and, or who were in the army. And, uh, and so, because uh, I think that's a very, very common structure where you have these team leads with a lot of decentralization, but then there's a clear, clear um, path to, to where the orders are coming from. Um, and uh, so really interesting. And so I've been thinking about like, how do you think about which message gets in, when, in which place in the organization? You have the higher level. And my understanding of an executive is basically focusing on the higher level uh, being able to go into the details, but then only quickly to diagnose it. You don't really get lost in the weeds down there. Um, and what's your take on on how to think about these different levels of organization and then the communications and maybe even the permissions and sensitive information in those different silos? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways of approaching that uh, question. Um, I think from an organizational point of view, we're, we're going to see more at least in Scandinavia, we're seeing more flat structures. And I think 
the agility and the agency of every team member to actually being able to act upon uh, act upon certain things while having a specific area of responsibility is the way forward. Um, of course, some sort of hierarchy is needed, but but it's also a remnant of uh, a previous age of, of structuring a company. I think we should be very conscious about people being more flexible in their work environment in terms of actually being able to jump uh, jump in and out of teams. And in essence, it's also what I've spilled invisible that we are not so arrogant that we think that the best person for the job sits in the building next door they can be from all over the world um which is a core philosophy that actually really resonates with me um because of course like sitting in copenhagen i don't necessarily think i have the best people in the world dates are, dates are great but but of course there's different cultures there's different aspects there's different views that will contribute to the success of 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 invisible and and that also goes uh, stems true with an organizational chart that the bits and pieces of information might stem from the lowest level or the highest level on the biggest decisions that you're going to make mm-hmm. and i think allowing for that i don't know if we can call it serendipity but allowing for that access at least is important and having that transparency so we can actually access the information and act upon it and cl- creating easy lines of communication for people actually to pick something up um so we actually solve things in the most efficient manner um from a structural perspective i think we as a company should think a lot more about asynchronous communication so making sure that knowledge is accessible rather than being provided um and that also just falls into general reporting structures, making sure that we can actually have a a, a system that allows us for, for true valuable reporting and that everybody aligns upon the same values, the same things that we need to optimize for. So everybody knows what they're contributing with and how. Um, yeah, mm. but but I'm, I definitely see a future where where we will be forced to enable a more flexible and a more agile structure where people can actually dance a little bit more around because I truly believe that innovation and creativity is a human attribute. And everybody in an organization is human. So who am I to say that I'm the one with the best ideas? We should make sure that we can actually enable everybody in the organization to contribute. Um and have agency to do so. Great. Uh, well, we've run out of time, but I really appreciate you taking taking the time to, to sit down with me and talk about this. We covered a lot, really, really good stuff here. Um, and uh, um, I, I know for that last point, it was, it was very helpful for me as well. Uh, so anybody listening out there, do you have any uh, tips, wisdom, or resources of things that you're working on or that you're going to work on or anything you want to share with the audience, like a last point? Well, <laughs> all the issues that we're speaking about is something that I'm dealing with myself on a day-to-day basis, especially also uh, with the projects I'm working on. Um, but in general, what I'm working on myself is to find that perfect balance between living and working and building and contributing to a greater future. And for me personally, and I don't know if that's an advice, but for me, one of the keywords right now is being conscious. 
um, and actually taking the time to reflect and not just follow a suit like a lemming, but thinking about how we consume, how we interact and, 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 and how we can quite frankly make a better life for ourselves. Because in the end, that's, that's our responsibility because I'm very aware that I want to make a lasting impact on the world. And I can only do so if I actually take responsibility for my own life and make sure that I decrease the noise but increase the output. Um, and the path there is being conscious. That's excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for having me again. Hey, thanks for tuning into Plain Sight, presented by Invisible. If you liked what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button and consider sharing with your network. And if you're interested in learning more about how Invisible helps teams cut costs and scale, visit our website at invisible.co. See you next time.